Good evening, and welcome to the March 2021 edition of Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, immigration has been a prominent topic in political debate in this country for most of the last decade. But let's face it, we're all at least descendants of an immigrant. But even as the Biden administration eases the oppressive policies of our last president, the path to the United States can be challenging. For many LGBTQ people, seeking asylum here in the United States is a matter of life or death. According to UCLA's Williams Institute, 11,400 people sought asylum between 2012 and 2017, and 4,385 of those asylum seekers were from South American countries. Immigrants who do make it to America face many challenges, and tonight we're going to share one story of success from an immigrant who fled from oppression in the Middle East and found safety to be himself here in California. Harma Hartuni is a family man now with a husband and children, and he's just written a new memoir about his journey, and he's here tonight to share his story. But first, here's your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, March 28, 2021. This is Greg Morale with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of March 28, 2021. LGBTQ Nation reports that at least eight conservative organizations have been running Facebook ads against the Equality Act and possibly violating the social media platform's ban on hateful content. One of the organizations that ran an anti-LGBTQ ad on Facebook was Franklin Graham's, Billy Graham's Evangelicalistic Association. The ad links to a website that falsely claims that churches will be forced to change their views on LGBTQ people and that doctors will be forced to perform gender-affirming surgery on transgender people. The site also fearmongers around children. One of them said, quote, schools will be coerced to instruct first, second, and third graders that they can choose to be a boy or girl, end quote. While children should learn that LGBTQ people exist, the Equality Act does not require any specific school curriculum. And here locally, the Bay Area reporter said that three members of the LGBTQ community, all people of color, have accused the San Francisco Fire Department of discrimination just this year. Every month since January, a lawsuit or claim has been filed against the fire department, and together they point to a disturbing trend of allegations of a hostile work environment. The San Francisco Fire Department is currently led by an out lesbian and longtime member of the department, Chief Janine Nicholson. In January, a gay black firefighter, Keith Baraka, filed an amended suit in San Francisco Superior Court, alleging discrimination against him based on race and sexual orientation. In February, Ronnie Jones, a transgender black paramedic with the San Francisco Fire Department, filed a lawsuit in Superior Court alleging he has experienced discrimination on the basis of race and gender identity, harassment and retaliation. And then this month, a claim was filed against the city by a lesbian assistant chief, Nicole Jerodovac, the highest-ranking Asian woman in the department. The claim is a precursor to a lawsuit that alleges the fire department perpetrated whistleblower retaliation and discrimination. San Francisco Fire Department spokesman Lieutenant Jonathan Baxter said, quote, We are committed to fostering a welcoming, inclusive workplace free of discrimination or harassment based on race, gender, sexual orientation, or gender identity. And speaking of our amazing news partners, the Bay Area Reporter, this mighty publication will celebrate its 50th anniversary this week on April 1st. The Bay Area Reporter was founded in 1971 and is regarded for practicing advocacy journalism and producing original reporting on news and culture from an LGBTQ perspective. This all started with the birth of the LGBTQ civil rights movement, all the way to achieving marriage equality and advocating for transgender rights. 
This week, the paper will publish its anniversary edition that will include highlights of the paper's five-decade history. The Bay Area Reporter is available online free at ebar.com. And you'll find on that website an archive with access to every edition of the paper ever printed. Now, if you're an LGBTQ history buff like I am, you will find this resource amazing. On behalf of all of us here at Outbeat Radio, congratulations, Bay Area Reporter. And thanks for all you do to keep us informed. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Our guest tonight is Harma Hartuni. And fortunately, he didn't have to fight the Trump administration to get to the United States. But he did flee Iran, both as a gay man and as an Armenian. He arrived like many immigrants with little in his pockets, but big dreams of freedom. His memoir is titled Getting Back Up, A Story of Resilience, Self-Acceptance, and Success. Harma, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, you've got a fascinating story. Um, I really enjoyed reading the book. And, you know, we've talked on this show before about the intersectionality that exists within the LGBT community. And you have some very significant intersections. Uh, and I'm really curious to start out by talking about uh, the Armenian culture and your background there. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, I will say the big difference from 20 years ago than now in my culture, um, but definitely uh, being gay, it was not an option. That was not, there's no gay, if that makes sense. I grew up with, um, you grow up and you meet your girlfriend and then you marry and that's it. There is no, um, I didn't know what that meant when I, Mm -hmm. until I moved here. And although I had desired and I wanted to be with men, I just thought that's something I do on the side, like a lot of people still do. And it shocks me how many people will do in America that, but back home, a lot of people will just, is a norm to just be who they are alone, private, and then move on to what's accepted by mm-hmm. the community. So mm-hmm. that is my culture. And I don't think it's a, a, it's only for sexuality. I think it applies to um, unhappy marriages. You don't get divorced. Uh, having a kid that is autistic or something is different it's you just um ignore it you don't embrace it Mm -hmm. and that just happens in my culture is denial to be publicly make sure that brothers and sisters and uncles and grandmothers they're all accept you Mm so and you know my sense of of it of armenian culture here in the u.s is that it's very very tight uh, I've had students who are Armenian and their, you know, their sense of family and community just within other Armenians is, is very, very close. Was that your experience as well? Yeah, it's funny you said that. My husband always says, I could, because he's not Armenian, and he always says, you guys are so tied. Like they marry one to another, they friends, family, they grow up together, they go to college just close to each other. Um, I never been able to explain that besides that um, Armenian cultures, they uh, they are in every country from in India to South Africa, we have there's Armenians. So when you're together and you're Orthodox Christians, one of the oldest religion and, uh, and cultures out there, you have things to relate to each other. So you stick together and then you just feel unsafe. I mean, in Iran, uh, we have two churches to go to. And mm-hmm. uh, 
and church wasn't like you necessarily go to pray and it was all religion it was just a place that you walked in then my mom could take her hijab down and there was no question about it i could be with a girl standing i wouldn't be arrested so it became that so you felt the safe zone it's so growing up with that so when you move here you're i think you're just programmed to just be around them because you feel safe right um, yeah that's my only explanation now that separation you talked about between men and women i i I have to associate that with the Muslim tradition, and that's another major intersection in your life. I mean, you grew up in Iran as an Armenian. Talk about that. That had to have been just... That had to be challenging. Uh, yeah, so my dad was extremely strict to make sure I learned Armenian in writing and speaking, and I couldn't even use words in Farsi in our Armenian dialogues. You know, you will see here, Armenian kids will speak half English, that was not okay. So we grew up in Iran. We had to speak Armenian, but even Armenian schools, they had one hour in English, uh, Armenian, the rest was Farsi. Mm -hmm. So you're embedded with that culture, but, and also then Islamic culture. And again, I'm um, married to a uh, Muslim and it's not, that's not, to me, it's not the religion. We don't lead by that, but Growing up, the community, Iranians are an amazing, I will say, population. They're amazing people. As a matter of fact, because we were Armenian, by them, we were respected more. We were known to be ethical, hardworking, will not lie. They, so every mechanic to painter or anyone that was, because culturally, a lot of them were into building things and repairing things. So people will just trust Armenians. Mm -hmm. um, the religion police, which that's what they are, they were forced to separate us or um, there was a restriction on Armenians, but I will say the same restriction on us applied to is Muslim population that they were very open-minded. So um, it was hard to grow up because it was a very big difference in everything. The writing is different. The, the, we have Bible, that Quran. It, I decided in, um, that when I was in high school, I wanted to go to medical school and Armenians had less percentage to get into it. And if you're Muslim, and then if you were Muslim or your parents, your father or mother, brother uh, became disabled in a war or they were part of a mm -hmm. police, uh, they had a, it didn't matter how educated you are or how smart you are, you just got a percentage higher chance to get into medical school. Oh. So I just switched to an Islamic school and I studied Arabic um, even deeper and I studied Quran and I didn't tell them I'm a Christian um, to just be able to, to blend in. But I will say overall, my experience with the population and my friends out there, I was even more popular because I was Armenian. Interesting. Now, see, my stereotype would have said just the opposite. I would have thought in a largely Muslim country like Iran that, that anybody who was not a conservative Muslim would have been second class. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, um, we were, um, again, my parents were pretty wealthy and we grew up with but nicer in area and, um, but people were much nicer to Armenians. But ultimately when I went to college, I remember one time when my teacher, uh, it was a big school. I walked down um, to grab the chalk to do the math on the wall. 
And he said, what kind of name is that? I said, I'm Armenian. And he scrapped the chalk on it. He brought a piece of paper, got the chalk and trashed the chalk and mm. says, you're dirty, you're not, don't touch my chalk. And then my friends in the class are like, what? And again, it's not in the US. I mean, this is where I, from people take advantage. I'm like, just take a moment. You have an ability to even talk about it. That's not something you can do in Iran. Right. And I just had to basically shut up the entire course even though my math was above, I just wanted to be off the radar so he doesn't pay attention to me. But that was one teacher. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm sure a lot more has happened, but it wasn't something that I was dealing with it every single day. Sure. Well, you write a lot about your family uh, and you talk about the relationship with your dad uh, and some of the brutality that you endured. You know, as you look back on that now growing up with him, what are some of the things that you value today that you learned from him? Um, thank you for asking that. I, I am, uh, I think I was shaped by him, right? I'm 50% of your body is your mom and 50% is your father. And if you're not growing up with them, you're, or whoever is around you raising you. So you can't avoid it, deny it. It is what mm -hmm. it is. Um, it, I was running from it for years. And it took me a long time to just stop running and actually run towards it and adapt it. Um, and I am, I am the only way for me, I have been able to forgive him and be okay to actually thank him for shaping me. So I don't, my mom has a big part of this too. You know, she made me be caring and uh, aware and loving and give back. Uh, but I think my dad in business and my, um, even the way I am with my family now, I think he has shaped me. Uh, I learned a lot from him not to do the things mm -hmm. that not to do. There's a um, very famous poem in, uh, in school when you're 10 years old, you have to memorize it in Farsi and go and give an exam. Mm -hmm. I will say every kid does it. And I'm, if I'm translating, it says, how did you learn to be polite? And the the poem continues because I've learned from not disrespectful people how mm -hmm. to be polite. And I looked at that and looked at my mom and I said, oh my God, if I just do the opposite of that, I will be rich and I will have people follow me because he didn't have a lot of people. He will rotate between people everyone worked for him. And I just remember that. I don't, I blocked a lot of things from my childhood and um, I, I was, I learned from him what to do opposite because he was extremely business and oriented to build and think ahead very strategic and yet couldn't retain so he definitely had a big impact and um i'm grateful that i turn out to be what i am because i have seen people with less uh, challenges in their life they choose a different path mm -hmm. and again i'm not judging i just didn't have that um genetically i didn't have it or I don't know what it is. That's why I wrote the book to share that it's okay what happened. Just accept it and just move on. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, and, and you wrote about being the victim of sexual abuse uh, right. quite a bit. And you, you talked a minute ago about how gay, quote unquote, isn't, doesn't exist in Armenian culture and certainly doesn't exist in, in uh, Iran. Of course it exists, right? Uh, how pervasive is it? I mean, you suffered a lot. Uh, how pervasive is abuse by older men with younger male victims? A lot. Um, 
a lot and I am um, I'm really hoping anyone ever in Iran or anywhere because I don't think it's just Iran hears is know that um, it is okay if you like men or desire men or you feel in attraction like I did looking at men or their their parts of men that is more attractive than women if that's okay but um, if you're under age and um, and someone who's also has that desire, but you're, you don't have a choice and you have to do to just because of shame and you have to stay quiet. I think that's not okay. Um, so I, I, again, I, I always felt I had that attraction. So it's, I never, I, a lot of people say, do you think that makes you gay? I was like, uh, that is the most ignorant thing I've heard. Um, but, but that's but a pretty think, common um, stereotype, right? I mean, that's one of the, that's one uh, of the, crazy stereotypes that's out there that you know people are gay because they were abused yeah and i totally i mean there are a lot of straight men right now has been abused they've been abused by women of you know just, so uh, it, they don't talk about it you know it's something sexuality it's something you know talks about it and someone asked me recently why would you put this in a book and put it out there uh, when you didn't write the book to make money or this is you're not an actual author and this is not your passion i said Oh my God, if one day I launched it, it just uh, people texting me privately saying this chapter applies to me, this chapter applies to me. It's like, so it does happen. And I will, going back to your question in Iran, um, men and women don't see each other. And let's be honest, men are sexual people. And I think women too, but that's, if they make love and I believe men is more open and they, they just do things. And the, the truth is, where do you think men are, what are, what do you think they're doing from age of 12, 15, 16, 18, whatever you want to say, you start all the way to 50, let's just say, what do you think is happening when there's no bar, you, there's a woman, you can't be with anyone, it's her, uh, haram to do that with anyone. So, it, of course, if two men are together in anything, they so a lot happens. A lot of people will never talk about it. And a lot of people will just because they did it doesn't mean I, I don't think they're gay. Um, right. It depends where you're at and what you're dealing with. But because it's so suppressed, there is no um, resources to even release yourself or be with your own wife, your own. The marriages over there are not even healthy. So it's not the talk about it, you do it. So I think when you, you, as they get older and you get suppressed in all aspects of your life, you and financially, uh, the country overall, there's a rich, rich, and there's a poor, poor. So, so they, they do things that I will say, it's not the right thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it happens a lot. And I think a lot of wives, and I, I don't know if I should say this, but a lot of wives in Iran know their husband has done things and they have done any things that they shouldn't. Or they, but they, it's just a denial. They don't talk about it. Interesting. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, so obviously there are straight men who are straight young men who are abused by women. It's sort of that classic uh, Mrs. Robinson story, the, the, the old graduate movie. And, and in our society here, that seems to sit better, I, I guess, People, I don't think people see it as abuse in the same way that they would if an older man was with a younger man, I guess is my it's point. Same, exactly. It's the same thing with women, because if a woman stands up and says the way it is, 
they call her, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say any of this, but they call her, you know what? And then if men stand says, stop it and I'm going to fire you. Oh, he's a businessman. Right. If a woman says, and this is like, oh, and the same way that it's a woman, it's soft. So it's, and they're the one gets usually victim, not. So it's always that gender thing that, and when someone says women and men are equal, I'm like, they're not treated equal. You know, I will say in, in here, a lot of women are way more equal than any other part of the world where I grew up. Um, my mom was abused, beat up. She was healthy. My dad wasn't. And if she left, she could never take her kids. Right. You know, so what? how's that equal? So I, um, but I do think that it goes both ways. It doesn't just, I actually want you to know, it's not just an older man, men and men can be the same age. A lot is happening that people don't talk about it. Sure. So I'm curious. I mean, we have a lot of abuse in this country as well, and right. it can be uh, it can be totally destroying in someone's life. You've emerged as a highly successful family man professionally. Uh, what was your strategy? What would you What would you say to other victims of sexual abuse out there to help them emerge and find success? Um, I have, I have had people because I'm different, I am not equal and, um, you will be surprised how many people will find you equal once you actually accept yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, there are people will, they're being straight around me. They're not straight and they bullied me, questioned me. Um, ultimately, that's all they wanted, you know, but they questioned me. Or, um, so I will say that it, it, it can be very tough if, if you just accept yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be surprised the people that you didn't really have deep connection will come closer and the people that they, you thought they will have your back will actually disappear. And that is part of life. You just change your air journey and you change people around you and that's part called part of growing up so if you don't want to grow up um you can i mean you can skip the process you've got to go through this process and um my my biggest um pride right now is to accepting myself and when i did it was funny because when i accepted myself i said okay fine i'm gonna say i am and i'm gonna come out and then i was like mom why don't you accept me and i was fighting with her and i and one therapist told me because like it took you 20 years to come out to yourself and you want her to accept you in 20 minutes right so um so it's okay if people around you need more time to adjust but, and you don't need 20 people to say who I have um, agent of mine said that my son is coming out and I'm throwing a party for him and he's 16. I was like, <laughs> are you serious? I, when I came out, the party was shutting down. We were like beat up. You, you're throwing a party for your 16 year old. I'm like, obviously I'm very proud that that mother it felt like that but that's just not the norm and right. if you don't have that and you have a similar story than mine trust me the one who loves you will love you eventually i mean look at my mom it's just the biggest supporter now with everything if you read the book you'll be shocked yeah. at who she is now yeah and i think that's very sage advice it, uh, i've told that to students as well you, you have to be patient with those in your life because as you say you've known for many years 
uh, it may have taken you a while to reconcile that, but but you've known, and and so yes, you need to expect more than twenty minutes uh, for exactly. people to to understand. Uh, and I love the party story. I mean, that's a that's a Hollywood movie, right? It is. I throw a party for someone coming out. It's like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you were a dancer, um, and so t I'm curious. How did you discover your talent for dance? And then how did that mesh with the image of what a man, quote unquote, was supposed to be in both Armenian culture and in Iran? Well, in Iran, you're not allowed to dance, right? Dance, music, things are like in Islamic culture, not allowed. So they, even though people at home have parties and dance, but Armenians were able to have classes and performance because we were a minority, we had our own restrictions. And so in the church or our private banquets, we could do that. Um, I, my sister was a dancer going to a dance class and an Armenian teacher, she was amazing at it. And um, I would go and I just say, mom, can I come? Can I just watch? And it took me two, three years of watching my sister. And I said, can I dance? And they had like 40 girls and no man or two, uh, eventually two. And I became the third one in the class. And um, I don't know what happened as I grew up. That was the only thing that I had. And I was able to escape my home life and my school life. And so I started doing more and more. And I, um, uh, my teacher was constantly giving me more. And at one point told me, can I teach younger generation? And then more men came in and, um, but we were not exposed to anything. We didn't have a, a video. We were not exposed in other countries. We don't even, we, I didn't even know there are dance schools that people go to and graduate and then they I mean I didn't mm -hmm. know any of that I just mm -hmm. knew that it's a fun thing to do for me I'm gonna go and um and then of course when my legs broke I buried that chapter with everything else back home and I never looked back to it but yes I danced for um many years nine years I will say total and um I think that has helped me my with my business because in dance you have to dance with everyone on the same line make sure you're not standing out so you can be look like them because audience cannot see anything different than what it is between 10 boys dancing. And yet I had to be the best one. So it, it's helped me a lot with my business. Now, when you say you had to be the best one, where did that pressure come from? I am very competitive and um, very, very competitive. I always wanted to be the lead on everything. I, um, I will say if I go back, it's my dad. I was uh, just going to say, I hear, I hear your description of your dad in that. Yeah, my um, is genetically, I guess I, he pushed me. Um, it's, you know, I, I remember I was 11 years old. I had to take six different ta taxis. It's not like here you get in taxi and you, they drop you off. You take street to street. I was 11 years old, took two, six different taxis, went from up, up, uptown to south of the town, which is, I will never let my 18 year old do that right now. But, um, and then um, I opened the factory and I let, you know, uh, I don't know, 50 people inside the factory at the age of 11. And I realized when I got there, my dad was behind me with a car following me, but yet he wouldn't help me to get there, make sure I learned how to get in a taxi. Mm. And um, so I think those little things have developed. I mean, I try to do it right now with my son, you know, he has to tip. Um, the driver who brings the food and 
understand. So I try to teach him, but I, I think it's nothing wrong to be competitive as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so how did your family uh, take to the dancing? Did they, were they supportive of you or did they just Sean, really reject it? My dad was so supportive considering how he always wanted to be a man. He was very supportive. I think partially I was an Armenian dance, which is a traditional dance that is dying in different communities. No one does it anymore. So when Mm -hmm. I was very good at it and, you know, doing to the T perfect Armenian uh, traditional dance, he was very proud of it. So I think he didn't care anything else. And again, I think the stigma of gay dancers, that's a lot, it was a lot. It wasn't in Iran. Shockingly, we didn't have that. It's, um, and I was not good in sport. Maybe he just gave up eventually. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just shut up and dance. Sure. <laughs> so without giving too much away in the book, uh, clearly the accident with the bus was a totally life-changing experience for you. Um, tell us about what happened and, and how did you wade through that? Um, I was driving down on a very narrow road on the hillside on top of the mountain. It was a very religious day for Islamic uh, country. It's the 40th day of their prophet passing and they um, basically go through the town or they pray and they um, more about whatever that the tradition is pretty deep and they cry, they were black, they hit themselves and on and on. And um, so I was coming back and uh, I never, in Iran, you don't wear a seatbelt. I mean, you do now, but 20 years ago, you didn't. So I pulled over because something in my car, um, again, my energy, my whatever I believe, kind of told me, you got to pull over and um, put your seatbelt. And I thought that's so weird. I did. I found the seatbelt, which never was used, put it on, got on a stick shift car, got on number one, and then my car started turning and i don't know i was not driving fast although everyone around me had an opinion and then um and then i did not get to number two and my car was turning and turning i would keep it straight and then we'll turn back and then at one point i realized a boss was driving up and i was sliding down with my driver's seat that i just thought the door is going to hit the boss and all i was thinking it's so narrow the car i must like die or something will happen. So what I did, I turned the wheel and I hit the boss um, face to face and my car got totaled. Obviously I couldn't open the door on the left side to get out because it was a big hill and I would just jump down and die. So I used um, the front passenger side door. I couldn't because the dark door and the, the car and the door and the seat were smashed. So I couldn't get out. So I pulled the car seat down. I flipped back thanks to my dancing and gymnastic mm-hmm. I flipped back and I used the back door and I jumped out um, they were just in the bus this big bus and they were taking all the people to the mosque they were looking at me shocked because they thought I'm dead I walked out nothing happened to me I just I was shocked I, I was actually shocked of what happened not thinking about what why nothing happened to me mm-hmm. and then the driver and the assistant driver walked down and we were they were just cussing me out. I was wearing a gold chain and telling me a dirty Armenian. And, and I was all I was just thinking, oh, my dad, my dad will kill me because of the car. And then the same time they said, watch out. And another car hit me from the back and my boot legs broke. My 
but was on my car and my legs were between that car mm. and the bus. So I remember people start jumping off of the bus, bus, they pulled the cars apart and then I fell down. I still didn't know my leg was broken. Um, my front of my toes were in the backwards and I didn't know. Um, and I don't want to be too graphic, you know, bone marrow and all. Oh, and, all. Yeah. And, and then I realized something was getting wet underneath my neck. Um, I realized the driver's head was hit the ground. And I, that's where I think it started realizing, okay, what this happened so fast. Um, and, and I think that moment, it just changed. Everything changed. I was not the harm anymore. Something, something died and something was born. That's, yeah. So, so what was it? What, ha what, what uh, happened? I think, um, I think everything I worked for and everything I tried to hide and be, I just didn't care. Mm -hmm. I just didn't care. Yeah, I just felt if I'm losing my university that I, God knows what I went through to get in, uh, gymnastic and the dance that I was passionate, I can never do again. Um, and I kind of was so beat up, like, you know, you grab a steak and you beat it, you beat it to get up. You eventually, it's like, you got to eat it, that you can't beat it too hard. It's, I was so beat up. I just like, what, what else can it happen? I was done. Mm -hmm. I was done. not knowing what I will have today at all. I just knew I was done. And you had plenty of time to think about it because you were in the hospital for long, long? yeah, like months and months. Yeah, I took uh, over a month uh, as surgery and and just and then home. I, I rather was in a hospital because the home to have your mom lift you and you have right. to do number two and number one in bed and bath and then nothing, time doesn't move. If you ever had one leg broken or arm just in a cast for two weeks, you know what I'm talking about. It just, time doesn't move. Imagine mm -hmm. just lay down. And then everybody around you tells you what happened when you, they were not there. And that's what I learned in my business. Like, I don't listen to anyone because they have a lot of opinion, people who are not actually qualified, so. Did you start game planning, blueprinting the rest of your life while you were laying there, recovering? No, I think I was just focusing on to leaving everyone. That's all I was thinking about. I want to leave everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know what it meant because I was never allowed. I didn't know what California looks like, by the way. So, right? so I didn't know. We were, had no internet. We, we didn't have access. We didn't know. All I knew, and I was not allowed to talk about it at home with my father. So I just wanted to get out. I was so committed to even go to Armenia, I'd be out of Iran, as long as I'm just out of where I am. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I was able, you know, I was born here, so I had the citizenship, so I flew to the United States, and that was it. But I felt bad for anyone who's still there or cannot get out, but I, um, I was just, I buried everything. So talk about stepping off that plane in California. It, that wasn't easy even to get your passport to get here, right? I mean, that, that was a struggle. Yeah, fake, um, fake Swiss embassy, which was an American embassy. And, um, and they told me they will give the passport at the airport because they don't want that to be taken away again. And they, so anyway, they met me and they handed me over there and I was hiding it. And 
and I got out. I was very scared. Yeah. Because if you'd been caught with that fake passport, quote unquote, what would have happened to you? Well, when we came to Iran with my mom, they took it away, right? So we we left with that fear of they find it again, they're gonna take it away, and you can't have dual citizenship. And if you do, you do, you and I my American uh, my Iranian passport was never used and had no visa in it. So I wasn't like flying to Turkey or Italy. So they will say, oh, you're going to Italy and that's your visa. So I had nothing. If you open my um, passport, Iranian had nothing in it. And then yet I'm flying to Moscow and I have no visa. But if you're in transit, you don't need the visa. Mm -hmm. So that moment was like, where are you going? And then I said, what's your last destination? So I just like, as you read it, I tried to jump around it. And eventually when they find out, then the guy just throw the passport on the floor and I grabbed it, got to the airplane. The moment the wheels were off, I like there were women taking their hijabs off because once your wheels are off, you can. I felt I'm taking my hijab off. I'm like, mm. I'm like, I'm done. Mm. Uh, and that was it. And of all the places in the US, you landed in Los Angeles. Yeah. Why there? I guess Armenians, they all go to LA, Glendale. I don't know. Um, my family was all in Glendale. I had no one else. I honestly didn't even know there's an option to go anywhere else. I just thought I have to go where my grandmother, and my uncle is. And I moved here and they picked me up uh, from the airport. And um, I never had a grandmother, you know, that was, you know, just growing up my, she was here or um, I had my dad's uncle's side, but my mom's side, I had no one. So I was very curious and I was always um, imagining their lives here and they picked me up and that was it. And I just knew when I was driving at that 405 freeway to up on the LA up, I was like, I am never going back. But obviously I had no, I didn't have the guts to tell anyone. Well, I think that's such a common story with, with immigrants, right? You, you, you come over and you connect with family. That only makes sense. Uh, you need to have that sort of grounding. I, I, I can't imagine landing in a city like L.A., coming from such a foreign place all by myself with no connections. Yeah. Had you heard about West Hollywood at all? Had that had the? No. I didn't know there is an area for it. I just thought it would be a bar in a street, and they will be hiding. That's the way I thought mm -hmm. it will. So. Uh, tell us, you get here, you settle in with family, and then no, you, you were kind very of fast, right? yeah, very fast. You were kind yeah, of sneaking I, out. Yeah, I, I, I got a yellow page, and so if you're young, well, you most probably don't even know what that is. So I had a yellow page, and I looked for G A Y, and then I found a bar that says Gay Bar, and it was not in West Hollywood. And um, I drove, and I parked, and I, from outside, I looked. Now, well, a few months later, I realized that's not a gay bar. It's actually a happy bar. They call it gay bar. <laughs> so I just, and I was very uncomfortable with word gay. And then, and then of course, um, I managed to become a friend with someone who was openly gay and I was hiding my identity. And then he took me to West Hollywood. I was shocked mm -hmm. that there are men and they're beautiful men, every race and they're all fun and they're so nice and I was like I'm not like them I am never gonna be gay uh, and then yet I wanted to go back every day mm -hmm. um, 
and just felt comfortable, but yet I judged them, I judged them, you know, I was just struggling with it. And, um, and then I, it was just became a double life. I would go there, be Harma, and then come back and be the, the nephew and the grandson and remotely for my mom and dad back home, be the son. And then, um, and then with the pressure and pressure when my mom moved and my family here is like, you know, he's just, his friends are men, his friends are men. And I just finally had to immediate, I had so fast I had to come out to myself so I can come out to her. And then obviously when I told my sister first, I said, I think I'm going to tell you something, I'm gay. And she said, oh my God, dad will kill mom. And I was like, okay, well, I'm talking about me. I said, I'm gay. And she goes like, I know, and dad will kill mom. And I was like, because it's always mom's fault. And um, so that was very happy when my dad didn't move right away and I brought my mom first. So it was a gap because I was like, okay, I can tell her first. And, um, and she's safe when you tell her. She's not going to suffer at his hand. No, exactly. I mean, she, she was scared of him. Mm-hmm. And she obviously, I wrote in the book that she closed the windows, turned the gas on, tried to kill herself. And then she took me to the doctor to convert me. And, and mm-hmm. she made me come out on the radio by telling everyone, by not giving my name, but said, there, we moved from Iran and my son's legs were broken and he was a dancer and we live in Sunland. I was like, mom, <laughs> you should just have said who I am. I mean, everybody knows. And uh, funny enough, that doctor who had a big show on radio told her that I'm sick and I need to not be at the house. And, um, and just, just it, it, I had to change her environment for her to be educated. I literally was looking for a book, but she couldn't speak English. So I'm like, if I buy a book for her to right. read, what is that going to do? Gonna read, right. Yeah. So I had to change her environment. Uh, and she was new. She was an immigrant. She lost her entire life. And she was just starting new. So it was a big adjustment. Now, how did her, her reaction uh, to your coming out compare with your other, other relatives who had been living here in, in, in Glendale and L.A. for a long time? I, my mom's cousin, my second cousin, was extremely only supportive person. She did not care. And she, I have an aunt who passed away, my mom's sister, who... My, that cousin was used to say that if your aunt was alive, we'll put a rest to everything that she was extremely, she used to go to West Hollywood. So I lived through thinking about her. My other aunt uh, and uncle, they just, they didn't know that they didn't know, although they lived here for a long time, um, they never interacted. They didn't realize what it means. Um, you know, they don't travel a lot. They don't, um, I, I just, if you don't know that you don't know, it's a very different con- sure. conversation was you know and you're still ignorant. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I give them the doubt of that they didn't know, they didn't know. And I was the first one changing their, and I always tell people, I'm like, if you just tell one person per day and change their mind, that's over 360 people a year. I mean, that's a lot of people you get that's to right. change. That's right. That's absolutely right. I'm like one by one. Yeah. Again, when you're broke and you live with them, it's very hard. But financially, when you become strong, it's, I think it makes it easier for them to realize, okay, he has his head together. It's like I was not depending on them. Well, and you started, you know, again, like many uh, stories from, from immigrants here, you were living on food stamps. Yep. Uh, and so you have family support here, of course, but 
you know, what would you tell somebody who's showing up and, and, and how do they make it? What's the, what's the secret? What's the, the path from food I stamps? Heard this to... In the book, I, um, someone very smart told me that if you're getting help, you will never be able to help anyone. So you choose be the person who helps or gets help. And I couldn't understand it then because he asked me, when did you move? And I said, I just got food stamp. And I just didn't know anything is wrong with getting food stamp. And then he changed my life. And I don't even know who he is. I don't even know his name. But he sat next to me in a car wash in Glendale and told me that within two months after I moved here. And I still think about that. I, you can literally, it's not just food stamp. If you want to help someone, help a community, help your church, you better not need help yourself. So if you are in need help, stop helping, get yourself out of it. That alone is a big step. Um, so I, it, and there is nothing wrong to ask for help, mm-hmm. but you gotta ask help from the right person so you can get up. So I start seeking out to people that I wanted to be like, not just a family and friends. You know, um, and I start seeking out, not within. So, did you find people in the gay community in West Hollywood who were able to give you help? Yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them. Um, they're actually. I am very open to help anyone. One of my dream is to um, convert one of the properties. It doesn't have to be in the best area. Just convert, get beds, and like Trevor Project is someone that I every yeah. time I come, very inspired by them. Kids that are sixteen, but they're not kids but they need the help they're not quite there yet they're kicked out of their houses they need to know it's okay and i had that i had random people telling me it's okay i had a person who um, had his sister as a therapist called my mom who speaks armenian so my mom can't believe there's someone with credibility says it's okay Mm -hmm. Uh, they were enough out there you just have to surround yourself with them yeah that that's true it's true. Uh, one of the things I was really curious about is you write about the Gay and Lesbian Armenian Association. Right. Um, and I think that, that so often uh, organizations, particularly for you know, different cultures and people of color, are still very, very invisible. Um, so talk about discovering that organization and how that was helpful for you. Again, it felt... Um, we, we were sharing the same stories. A lot of people had the same mom and dad stories that they were, I was dealing with. Um, there were people that moved here like me, but not necessarily the same year, like a couple of years before. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a guy who was a doctor and the parents were so supportive. So I start idolizing that I will have that one day. My family will be like his. So it was creating hope, you know, something that I See, it was exposing me to stories that is not told. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think they really helped me. Well, I, and I, I created. Yeah, and I think that's one of the real values of your book. You know, when you talk about why people were asking, why are you going to write your story? Or you were thinking about why you're going to write your story for exactly that. Because yeah. those stories become inspiring for other people. They, they suddenly discover they're not the only ones who are facing those challenges. Exactly. Um, you're a family man. You talked about having an 18 year old. Um, no, my, my son is seven and my twin girls are six. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's scratch that. So you're a family man. Uh, so let's talk about how did you meet your husband? 18 years ago, drunk, 
3 a.m. next to the Abbey <laughs> at the pizza place, not thinking ever will be serious. I met him at 3 a.m. We had a 6 p.m. date the next day. Saw him every day. 47 days later, I moved in. Wow. Love at first sight at 3 a.m. Yeah, I don't know if it's love at first sight. I don't believe in that. I think it's a chemistry and feelings, and then you develop love as you mm-hmm. get older. But definitely was, uh, he was not even my type, you know, I just didn't think he's my type and just was working. And then I was so broke. And he said, do you want to move in? And I was like, yes. And I had one broken suitcase. I had six things in it. And I was like, yeah, I'm moving in. And, uh, and then we bought our first house at, you know, I was 23 and it was 27, I think, um, turning 27. And that was it. And then we, and then my coming out and then him, but his was a great story and much different than mine. And that's why I want people to know they can be different and it will be okay. And then, um, and we've been together, it will be 18 years soon. Wow. Were you looking for someone, do you think, or did the relationship just show up? No, I, no, I was not looking for someone. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's no, at then it was no app or anything to date. And it was not a, you know, you just meet people, which normally you go out and you ask people out. And um, I don't want to sound conceited. I swear to God, I used to get so many numbers. I just, just, just didn't care. Um, I, just, I had no place. I had no home. I had no place to go. I had... Um, no money and it was not something that you I go on a date I felt uncomfortable I didn't want people to know I uh, I was scared of so many things and then yet I felt so comfortable with him and he was in a grad school and just just organically was and I will tell you if you're anyone who thinks it's so easy to have a relationship absolutely not the first even was a rocky but um we were just on the same page often. Mm-hmm. You know, I think financially, if you're broke and you're in a relationship can really affect your relationship. Um, we struggled with that. Sure. And, and if you're different, a lot of differences from religion standpoint or anything else, um, we di- as different we are, we didn't have it. I don't know if we are so different in religion, how we grow, uh, grow up, but div- religion is not part of our core relationship. So if you make it that the core, I think you will become further away from each other. Right, because he's he's Muslim, right? So that would be, I, I would think, it could be as much of a conflict for two devout people as a Christian and someone who's Jewish, or a Catholic right. and someone who's Jewish, right? And I have friends that are Jewish and um, Muslim, they got married, you know? And I will say, again, it only becomes an issue when you believe yours is better right 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 so tell us about your kids i I, you know you have a beautiful family how did that come about uh for you was that always something in your in your mind that you had hoped that you would have or did you discover that after you i always wanted kids but when i came out i just put that aside i said okay that's it i can never have kids and then my sister um ate eight, nine years ago, nine years ago, said, called me and said, I have to tell you something. And, you know, I 
was so close to them. I raised them. I was, it just like felt like my baby. And then I said, I'm pregnant. I was in tears. I was so excited and just didn't take me long. Right after that, I realized, why am I so sad that she's pregnant? And I, so I wanted to have kids and I talked to my partner and I said, we should have kids. And, and I, if you know me, you know that I don't do anything half-assed. I don't wait. I don't calculate budget and I have 19 people involved. I just do it. And that was like a, he goes like, you really want it? I said, yeah, don't you? He goes, I said, what are we going to do? We're going to grow old. And, and then what we're already, I was 29. I said, I'm already traveled half of the world. I have what I want. And I said, I don't want to be the old gay uncle that dies. And I, I saw home a couple of oh, uncle dad and I've given to niece and nephews. I said, what about our kids? I said, it doesn't mean I don't want her to have it. What about us? And um, are you okay to be publicly gay parents? Like that's that we have to just accept that. Mm-hmm. And, and then of course I realized how expensive it is to even get pregnant. Um, that was shocking. And then, um, then we went through routes of adoption or surrogacy and then um, adoption wasn't working out initially. And then surrogacy was working very fast and, um, and we moved forward and we ended up having three. Wow. And so how is it being a gay parent? It's nothing different than being a straight uh, family. We were, everybody was asked us, what are you going to tell them? I was like, our kids do not know the difference. Um, They, they, they have people, their, their mothers are single. They have no father. And their fathers that they are, their mom is completely moved out that they, we know, and the kids are just close to one father. And so um, we're very lucky with our sisters, uh, his sister, my mom, his mom, there are a lot of female in our life. My best friend, Megan, pretty involved. Uh, but our kids know our family's five. Um, they know what they, we don't have an issue and we don't hide. Um, we were, we promised each other, we're going to tell them everything as it happens because you know hiding and not allowing to happen things is where it makes things worse mm-hmm. we believe so um there it's really good um when we said we're gonna have kids again i i would i had a few offices telling my agents i had so it was like you know i was the first gay man openly having kids it was shocking and i think i normalized that by now you know if you know me it's not it's like it I really, I have 900, I, I had 900 agents. So it was normal for them. Well, you know, gay couple have kids, Harma has kids. But, um, and I think it's very different now with everyone that is from um, on different entertainment. You see every man, single man, sure. gay man, kids. So it's like a little bit different. Um, I think that we were judged a lot that um, how we're going to raise them. We both have a career um, on that a lot more than being gay. Uh, including my own family and um, and it is okay to have a career and have kids mm-hmm. you know there's nothing wrong a lot of people don't have a career they just have to work hard because to keep up so nothing is wrong to be working mother father and two father or two mother to have kids um, our kids are still now we love them very much and they're very kind and I think that's what I want to have make sure they become very kind that's the that's the most important lesson I think as a parent that you could teach them uh, that's fantastic. And it is all about a balancing act, right? I mean, it's all about keeping balance. 
my kids are, my, we have this deep conversation. They are not going to become the center of my relationship. They are going to be the center of our life. But as my, my partner and I, we have our relationship. They're not stepping into it. They're not creating the boundaries. We created the boundaries. So I'm very strict. It's going to be me and him and then the kids. We were talking the other day. My son was like, well, I said, I can't buy that. It's expensive. He goes like, you have money. I said, I said you can't buy that. And he goes, like, what do you mean? I said, I know you're too young. I, you do not have the money. And I don't want it. That's my money. So you, when you get older, when you work, you can have, I just want them to not thinking, okay, now because I didn't have it, I'm going to do it for him. Or then because he wants it, doesn't matter what my partner said. He said, no, I'm just going to still do it. So if he says no, it's a no, because our both, we both decide together. So we don't let the other one undermine it. So it's, it's, uh, it's working well. I have never had kids before. So I hope 10 years from now, I will say the same thing. <laughs> But um, we'll see how it goes. Well, we'll check. We'll mark the calendar and check in with you in ten years. Uh, one of the great parts of the book is that you have at the end of each chapter or section some advice. Um, we've got a few minutes left. What's the what's the most important piece of advice that you would want to give a reader who hears your story? If you are, if you are a person grow up with some challenges in your life um, that it's from culturally, just remember you can change that within where you're at. You can change everyone. If you are thinking about building a business and you have failed once or twice, just know that you can never enjoy success if you didn't fail. So accept the process. And if you are a openly gay man that you had had dreams and you just buried them, you may want to revisit that. And um, because you can be part of the changing the world and not wait for someone else to change it. Um, Don't let anyone else who's not qualified to tell you what to do. There are many of them. They usually don't get paid. So it's volunteer. So that should explain. You should not listen to them. I love that. The book is called Getting Back Up, A Story of Resilience, Self-Acceptance, and Success. Where can people find it? Amazon. It's on Amazon ready. Uh, so we'll put a link on our website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page, and it'll take you right to the book. Harma, thank you so much for sharing your story and all of your success and uh, much continued success to you and your family. Thank you. Very kind of you to do this. Thank you. And that wraps up our hour. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, do have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCB-FM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. More information is available at rockyandrosie.com. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next. <laughs>